You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast on a sermon series entitled Breakthrough. There seems to be a strong and growing belief in the United States that gathering together as believers for worship on Sundays is not a high priority. If you look at some research from the Pew Organization from 2018, only one in three American adults who do not attend religious services say a very important reason is because they aren't believers. Well, that's totally understandable. They're not believers, 28%. But more say they practice their faith in other ways. And so the dynamic of church, the dynamic of how people of faith believe and how they activate their belief is changing. And so while it's true that you don't have to attend church to be a Christian, it's also true that it's important to gather together and worship and connect with God and connect with each other. This is such a changing time. Did you know that church attendance now, regular attenders come twice per week? And there are probably a lot of reasons for that. There's pressure on families, there's two working parents, there's sports. Man, we made the mistake of getting one of our boys into traveling baseball. It's crazy. I mean, they play more games than major leaguers, it seems like. All of these make it really hard. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is how important it is to do life with other believers. Because it's, we're not meant to do it alone. Scripture really emphasizes this a lot. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And that's important. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And finally, in the book of Hebrews, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that tells us that each of us is commanded to do life together, to live in Christian community. And frankly, the, the lie I want to break through this morning is that we can do this alone. Christian individualism isn't really a Christian concept at all. And the truth I want to land on, whether you like it or not, is that you need others. And what you may like even less is that others need you. And that's where we're headed this morning. So let's take our Bibles and let's take a look at an amazing text found in the book of 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. It's page 988 if you want to grab that Bible in front of you. And you can also use the Ridgewood app. Just touch media and go to study guide and just go ahead and go right to today's date. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. So this is really an interesting context. Paul's writing this from Corinth. It's about A.D. 50 or so. And he is concerned about this church because it's located in a hardcore Roman city, a proud Roman city. And the church is being persecuted. And they're having a hard time with that. Paul also knows that they're struggling to understand his preaching about eschatology or the end times. 
and, and they're, they're, they're finding all kinds of things to worry about in that area. But the real topic that he addresses here, for our benefit today, is some were being lazy. Some were being irresponsible. Some were not on board with where he wanted to take the church. And he knew that if this was to be confronted, that everyone needed to work together. He knew that they needed each other. So as we read the text, be thinking about how this admonition speaks to active participation within the Christian community. Verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so there are four commands here that cannot be carried out if we're not together, if we don't know each other, if we're out there being lone rangers. We can't do this. And the four commands are admonishing the idle, encouraging broken people, lifting up those who are spiritually weak, and exercising patience and goodness in the process. So that is not easy to do. But through the power of Christ, we can. And that's what Paul's getting at this morning. To understand how important it is that we invest in the lives of others because they need you and you need them. And so let's begin with that first admonition here that Paul gives. And that is, we can break through Christian individualism by admonishing the idol. This is where he begins this little package of verses. In verse 14, he starts with the word and, and what he's doing there is he's referring back to 12 and 13 where he's talking about following leaders. He's talking about being at peace with each other. So there may have also been some disunity going on. And along with all of that, we urge you brothers, admonish the idol. Now the Greek here is a little bit confusing because the word for idol is undisciplined or insubordinate. And so if you go back and you look at some of, the, some of the commentators like John Calvin and some of the ancient commentators, that's what they have, disorderly, unruly. But when you look at it in context, there was a problem there of people just shirking responsibility. And so that's likely what Paul's getting at. But if there are people that are shirking responsibility or not being a part of what's happening and causing trouble, then we are to admonish them. And that is a strong word here. It's rebuke them. And that is our responsibility. But too often, what we do in these situations is we think to ourselves, at least I do, well, that's really kind of their responsibility. Or they must have friends that can talk to them about that. Or, well, that's kind of a personal matter. Or I haven't really earned the trust of that person to go there. But what happens then is we're just left to kind of fend for ourselves. And God is commanding us here to invest in the lives of others. Proverbs is, is great about this. If you look at Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What he's saying here is, 
It's much better to be temporarily wounded by hard words from someone who loves you than it is to be flattered by people that don't care about you. And so we have to be willing to receive that as well. And we see this now also in Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. And he who hates reproof is, yes, this is the word, stupid. So if you're avoiding reproof, if you don't want accountability in your life, if you're out there living the Christian life alone, then it's not going to work. Because Paul is commanding here that we live the Christian life together, in sync, and keeping each other accountable. And you can't do that if you don't know anybody. You can't do that if you drop in every now and then. Or if you send your wife and kids to church. Or whatever the case may be. So that's the first thing. Admonish the idle or disorderly. Secondly, here's what Paul wants us to do. We need to break through Christian individualism by encouraging broken people. By encouraging broken people. And this is so desperately needed in our world today. Desperately needed. Verse 14 is, encourage the faint-hearted. And faint-hearted in the Greek is short of soul. I like that, short of soul. That's such a good description of someone who's hurting. And, And these are those that fear and doubt. And Paul knew this was happening here in Thessalonica. They were concerned about being persecuted. And many were not sleeping well at night because they didn't truly understand Paul's end times teaching and they were afraid that their loved ones who had gone before them would miss the second coming of Jesus. And so there was a lot of worry, a lot of people grieving. And Paul says you need to come alongside those that are short of soul, those that are faint-hearted. And I think it's really important that we as believers do that. One of the areas that we're really trying to move toward as a church is being a church that can receive people that are hurting and help them and extend our reach. And one of the things that we've begun is a podcast that's called Life Support. And we've been really fortunate. We've been able to partner with a couple of different media partners one of them being KTIS and the Faith Network, who will help us distribute this. And the idea will be those in trauma, trauma survivors that have found victory in Christ can just tell their stories. And we can learn how to help walk somebody along when they're in trauma. We can see how God intervenes. But it's very, very important that we take this admonition seriously because there are people all around us that are desperately hurting. Now I know it's, it's hard to walk somebody through a traumatic experience because the one, number one thing I hear from people is I'm totally isolated because nobody knows what to say and so they just ignore me. And so if we're going to be this kind of a church And as someone who's gone through the death of a wife and cancer and and shooting death of my son, I just want to put a couple of ideas out there for you, and you can take them or leave them, about how to walk somebody through trauma. The first thing I would say is this. Encouraging someone doesn't mean fixing them. 
And so often we want to fix them. And what they're looking for you to do is simply walk the journey with them. Because you can't fix them. Because whatever God has brought into their lives is meant to change them. (laughs) It's meant to grow them. And they're not going to be the same person afterwards. So don't try to fix them. Just be there. The second thing I I, want to say, and some are going to get mad at me for saying this, but people get mad at me every Sunday, so you can just get in line. Here's the thing. Don't throw a bunch of Bible verses at them. Because they likely know them already, and they're not looking for you to try to, to surround them and drown them in Scripture. Again, what they want you to do is just be there. And then when you earn that relational trust, then you can begin to feed in truth. And so encouraging someone in trauma is really about listening, it's about loving, and it's about accepting them where they are. Now, this is really hard because, number one, it's hard to watch somebody you love hurt. We want to fix our kids, don't we? Like, immediately. It's hard. And the other thing that's hard is that you lose a piece of that friend that you really loved. And so you want the friend to go back to being the friend. So you kind of want to shake him and say, come on, be the person you were. And that doesn't work because they're new now. They're a different person. And so... Paul is, he's commanding us here to to come alongside of the faint-hearted, the the ones that are struggling, the broken people, not to fix them, certainly not to abandon them. And that's the other thing I hear from trauma survivors is, man, they were all great for a while, and then they all just disappeared. So none of us None of us can do any of this if we're just sitting home watching church online. And for you that are watching online, thank you for watching. But be here next Sunday. We need to encourage people to action as well. So the next thing we see here from Paul in this really rich passage is that we can break through Christian individualism by lifting up the spiritually weak. And this is a different problem. Spiritually weak people are people that are having a hard time with their faith. We see this in verse 4. Help the weak. They they haven't developed a strong faith in Christ yet. They're shaky. They, They don't really have their traction. So then we can come alongside of them and just mentor them and help them to walk the Christian life. They are also likely struggling with temptation and shame. But again, it's so obvious, I want to keep saying it. You can't do that if you're not in a relationship with people. Because you won't know who they are. It takes time to develop those kind of relationships. And sometimes it can be messy and time-consuming. When I first started broadcasting, my faith was not really where I wanted it to be. And I had a guy who said, listen, I'll tell you what. And I didn't really like this at the time. He said, when you're out on the road doing games, he said, I'm going to call you randomly at any time of day or night. And I'm going to ask you what you're doing. And so he did. And sometimes he called at very inconvenient times, like in the middle of the night. 
I think he probably enjoyed that part of it. But he would say, hey, Paul, what are you watching? Who are you talking to? Where are you? And in the back of my mind, there was always that accountability. There was a time in my life that I went through a bout of depression. It was pretty serious. And a man in my small group committed to calling me every single morning for a year. How you doing? You out of bed? It's going to be okay. That's what I'm talking about. But that takes intentionality. It takes commitment to others. That's why others need you. It's not just about what we need all of the time. And so we need to come alongside of each other in this way. And then Paul says you need to do it, and this may be the hardest part, patiently. You break through this idea of Christian individualism by patiently supporting others. And I, and I know it's hard to be patient with people. Like we, Here's the way we do it. We've got friends, we've got lanes that we drive in, and we just hop in our lane and we put it on cruise control. And then every now and then we might go to the gospel mission and do a little thing on a Saturday, then we're right back in our cruise control lane. Because life is messy. And when we get involved with someone's life, we don't know what's going to happen next. But we are to be proactive. And if you look at the verse, Paul changes the audience. Be patient with them all. Them all expands this command beyond just your Christian brothers and sisters to everyone that you have in your sphere of influence. And so you are to be patient with the people at work, the people that you come in contact with at school, the people in your club or whatever that may be. And never in my lifetime, man, have I seen a need for patience. Because we are in a divided world. People are on one side of the fence or the others. We need to have patience with those who don't agree with us in politics. And sometimes people who do agree with us and spout out stuff that we're going, I can't believe you said that. We need to be patient with them. We need to be patient when we think someone is in, has gone through something and they're stuck. And we go, I hear this a lot, like, I think that person's just stuck. Really? Have you asked? No, we need to be patient. We need to be patient with those that aren't cleaned up Christians. It's hard to walk into a church when you don't look or act like anyone else. I had a lady come up to do communion today. It was like the best moment of the year because she didn't know how to do it. It was awesome. So, no one's going to come here if they feel like we want them to be different if they do. This is really important. These people need us. And the Christian life was meant to live in community. And the lie is that we can somehow do it on our own. And it, I mean, if you look at the text leading up to 15, and, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and then in 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to another and to everyone. So we can break through Christian individualism by being proactively kind to other people. And this has a huge impact on people around us. This isn't just abstaining from evil. It's proactively moving into the lives of people to help them. 
And that makes a huge impact. And when it comes to us as believers, we need to proactively come together and connect and worship together so we can develop these kinds of relationships because that individualism is not biblical. And, and Hebrews makes this really clear. This is the rest of that tidbit I read earlier. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming back. The author of Hebrews is telling us, as that day approaches, you need to be meeting regularly. You need to be connecting. And so it's not really a choice. It's a command. And so we need to be there for everyone and kind to everyone and connecting with everyone. And then it has a huge impact. I mean, this week, we were mesmerized at that trial in Dallas. The police officer was convicted of murder and the brother who's reading an impact statement comes off of the stand and walks over to her and hugs her and tells her, I forgive you. And then even more shocking, the judge picks up her Bible, walks around the bench and goes right up to her and starts reading her John 3.16. And you can hear her telling her about the gospel. And guess what? It's everywhere on the internet. Because it's so peculiar. It's so weird. It's so different. Who would do that? Jesus followers. And so, when we do these things, we are different. And there is a risk, because that judge is in trouble already. How dare you read the Bible in a courtroom? I think you swear on a Bible, don't you? That's kind of weird. But anyway, don't try to do the Christian life alone. You need others. They need you. You need to help admonish those that are unruly or shirking responsibilities. You need to help prop up people that are spiritually weak and haven't found their traction yet. You need to move into the lives of hurting people and do acts of kindness proactively, patiently waiting for them to just come to know a deeper relationship with Jesus, but not trying to fix them. But none of this is going to happen unless you're engaged. And, and this is what I want to talk to you about just for a moment before we go to the Lord's table, this is a choice that you and only you can make. You have to decide if you're going to take that step and apply what Paul is saying to your own lives. And so if you're ready to do that, and if you're ready to obey, here are some tips for you real quickly that you can just write down or, or take with you. First, you need to pray for a vision to look outward. This life is not about you. It's about others. And so pray that God will expand your influence. Pray that he'll help you to notice the people that are around the edges. The second thing I would say is this. Join a small group. We call them community groups. Some church call, call them life groups. Whatever. 
it's important that you find a Bible study or some place where you can become known and that you can know others. And you don't do that by just a casual conversation around coffee. The third thing I would say if you want to apply this passage to your own life is see those that are closest to you as your mission field. You know, your kids, if you have a non-believing spouse, the people you work with, people at school, people that you run into every day and then begin to pray for them. Take your woundedness. This is another thing you can do. Take your woundedness and turn it toward others and tell your story in a way that they can connect with. And then you'll see God use your pain to change the lives of others. And here's the thing that is most important. Just love people. Don't judge them. But don't be afraid to enter into their lives either. And really to do this, you have to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And you have to give yourself completely to Christ. So ask yourselves questions like this. God, what do you want from me today? God, who do you want me to touch today? Who needs me? Where can I serve you? God, I'll do whatever you want. That's a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Those are the people that God will use to change lives. I I read a a tweet or something this week where where somebody said, man, I'll take 12 committed disciples over 12,000 consumers on a Sunday morning. And that can be you if you're willing to apply this truth to your life. You have to settle on this truth that others need you. When you're not here, we miss you. (laughs) And you need others. So why don't you just take a moment as we get ready to go to Lord's Supper just to spend a moment talking to God and ask Him, what do you want me to do about this truth? Who is there that I can enter into? And is there a blind spot that I need someone to come alongside of me to help me walk with you? Just take a moment and do that and then we'll go to the Lord's Supper together. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.